0: Welcome to a special episode of We Don't Die. I'm your host, Sandra Champlain, author of the international best-selling book called We Don't Die, A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death. And just a reminder that you can find past episodes of both my podcasts, because I also have Shades of the Afterlife on iHeartRadio, and all the good things that we have coming up online, including our free Sunday gathering, which in each and every one, there's a demonstration of mediumship. It's just amazing. Plus, we offer online courses, free events, and so much more. But everything can be found at our home base, which is we die.com. Our guests today are filmmaker Stephen Berkeley and Joni Gomo. Our community has been given a special showing to a new film, which can really impact the lives of those bereaved or those looking for evidence of the afterlife. And I'm grateful that I got a special showing myself. So I'm able to offer it to you guys today. It will be run for our community for um, from the dates December 22nd, 2021 to January 1st, 2022. And if you end up listening or viewing this episode after that fact, you can still sign up because we can let you know when the next showing is available. So you'll want to either go to we wedontdie.com to get the link or livingwithghostsmovie.com forward slash Sandra. Got that? You can replay it to listen one more time. So Stephen and Joni, a warm welcome to We Don't Die Radio.
1: Thank you. Good morning.
0: So happy to have you here. And Stephen, you're in Connecticut and you're in Georgia, right, Joni? I'm in Georgia, yeah. Wow. Wow. And I'm in Rhode Island. It's a warm winter day, which is strange, but it's nice. So we are recording this just before Christmas time. And you guys have a very special story. And I'm so thrilled that you gave me a special copy to watch the film. But Stephen, let's start with you. Who are you and what the heck happened that you wanted to
1: create this film? I'm Steve. (laughs) Uh, My dad died about 10 years ago, and my mom completely fell apart. Understandably, she had been by his side for 60 years, and she just didn't, she was disoriented when that happened. And we did the usual things. You know, my brothers and I all met with her in Florida where she lived, and we got her into a support group, and she started seeing a grief counselor, and she's got herself a therapist aside from the grief counselor. And she spoke to clergy too, but nothing really did the trick. I mean, she was just completely devastated, again, understandably. And we didn't really, she didn't know what to do and we didn't know what to do for her. And one day, not too long after my father died, my mother started responding a little bit differently to me on the phone. I was like, what's going on, mom? She says, there's something going on in the house. I can't explain it, but I feel like I feel like Dad's in the house with us, with me. So, that was interesting, and I don't know really what to make of it, but she seemed better. That's all I really cared about. She seemed happier. She felt like my father was in the house. Great. She made the mistake unfortunately of sharing this with her support group and her grief counselor and her clergymen because they were saying, "Oh, that's great Irene in a kind of a condescending kind of a way. <laughs> but that's denial. That's a short-term solution to a long-term problem. Right. You can't you can't live like that. That infuriated me. It really bothered me. And I was like, well, this is working, mom. Just continue. Continue having these dialogues with dad if you believe he's there. What happened was there was a light that was blinking in the house. And she was pretty sure, based on what a neighbor had told her, this was my dad saying hello. So she continued to talk to the light, and she continued to improve. Um, But she did take this admonition seriously from her grief counselor. And she did kind of slow down a little bit, and she started going downhill again. So I just thought, there's an injustice here. So the film was kind of born from that sense of injustice. I did some research and found out that this shouldn't be. And you could see the movie to find out why that shouldn't be.
0: Well, it's a a big, big deal, the project that you've taken on. And I'm sure that it's, one, cost a lot of money, but two, it's taken a lot of time. You have so many interviews with so many people, both pro and con, researching the afterlife and of course it's got a really happy ending um but how long did it take I mean how does one even begin to make a film were you was this your business beforehand
1: uh it was not my business no I I had my own business um kind of tangentially related to accounting and law Mm -hmm. um but I stopped pretty much working when I started making this film I just worked on this film and it took seven years. So I'm not a veteran filmmaker. I'm, I'm a I'm a writer. I've written for television. I've been in the entertainment side of 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 law and uh and accounting and some enterprises. But this is my first foray into a feature film. And it took a long time. It did take a lot of money, but I was I was driven. You know, I was really right. obsessed. And I even though there are plenty of opportunities to give up um I couldn't I just had to I had to see this through because of what I felt it would could mean to people
0: mm. I know with myself everything that I had done with all my book and podcasts and things was just a labor of love I I didn't need it to make money because I had another job and then covid came and My mom and I lost our catering business. And so starting from the ground up to to do online classes and things. But before then, I clearly remember a tipping point where I was gathering information for my own grief and for my own curiosity and to calm my own fears about dying. But there was this tipping point that happened where I had enough information that it's like, I have to give this to humanity I've got to put all my fears aside, no matter how much money it takes to write a book and publish and all that stuff. It's got to be done. And I'm sure the same thing
1: holds true with you. You know, I I should say, just in case anybody's wondering how a a non-veteran filmmaker could make a film like this over seven years and all that. It wasn't just me. You know, I I had a team. I found a brilliant co-writer and editor named Christopher Seward who is better known for Fahrenheit 9-11 and Sicko. So he's made some big movies. He knows exactly what goes into it. He knows how to tell a story. So he definitely helped me a great deal. It's, I'm, I would say I'm the creator, right. but I would say he's the brains behind how the story flows.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. You know, when they say when the student is ready, a teacher appears. <coughs> well, right. when a project like this is ready... I think there are unseen forces that all come together, even us meeting and me and our community here helping to share the good word. You know, I, I think, uh, yeah, there's different coincidences that happen, but it could be just somebody whispering in our ear right. to listen at a certain time or go to this website at a certain time. Joni, I want to ask you a little bit about you and how you came into this before we talk more about the film. Who are you?
2: Well, I am a, I've been a a hospice nurse. I've worked other areas, ER too, but mainly hospice. That's my first love. And, you know, I went into nursing after having had my own after death visit. And that, that experience actually changed the whole way that I see death and dying and grief because it completely 100% erased all my grief. And it also, at 14, that was my first experience losing somebody. And so I was afraid of death, you know, didn't know what it was. And when I had that experience, it literally erased every bit of fear I had about death. And it, it made me, I, I knew then that I would go on to do something in a field that had to do with death and dying. And, and the obvious choice for me was nursing in particularly hospice nursing and right after that experience i became a hospice volunteer until i right up until i went to nursing school and then my very first job right out of nursing school was in the hospice that i had volunteered with that whole time so for me it i wanted to i wanted to be close to people that i knew were terminally ill because i knew that i had some good news to share with them and i knew that i could help them understand there's nothing at all to fear nothing because i had seen what lies on the other side i got a visit i got a little tour of heaven and and i i understood that there's nothing at all to fear it's just beautiful and goodness and and you know it was it was it was a positive experience for me and so my whole career was based on on giving, taking away or helping to alleviate some fear that comes with dying, not just for the patient, but for their families as well.
0: Yeah. Very important.
2: And then you saw
0: the movie and then I saw,
2: I saw a trailer and, and I, you know, I reached out to Steven and I'm like, I don't know how, what capacity I could be involved in, but this speaks to me on a soul level. And so I began, you know, working with him and and I b- believe in the film obviously. You know, it's I feel like it's my baby. Also, because my I feel like I getting the word out about this film and it's hope, it's giving hope to people. Just like though you see the woman in the film, she's she's just devastated for for a really long time after she loses her husband and to see her literally see the light come back in her eyes is such a beautiful thing that if we can give that to other people when they're going through this most awful pain that you could ever experience, if we could give them back that light in their eyes, I feel like we're doing something for humanity that is beyond anything. You know, giving somebody back their life is priceless and I want to be part of that.
0: Oh, beautiful. Before we leave our episode today, um, towards the end, would you tell us about your experience? What had happened in your near death
2: experience? I, I will. I would okay. Love to
0: that. Well, that's a, be a little preview coming to everybody that's uh, listening or viewing this right now. And Stephen, the title is very in your face, thought provoking, living with ghosts. Some people well, I think it's actually a genius title. And and I did the same thing with my title, We Don't Die, because it's in your face, because it's like, yes, we do. you know? <laughs> But I think after watching the film, I kind of get why you titled it that. And it really is thought provoking. And what I find interesting as well, just from the people that I've met, is there's a lot of people that are steeped in religion that think. You shouldn't talk to the dead. Let them rest, you know? And there's also people that just don't believe. And there's also people that I do believe and I just want more reasons to believe. So I think within your film, no matter who you are, (laughs) it it like speaks to you. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about the title and uh, maybe some of the people that you interviewed?
1: I'd love to talk about the title because... I felt like I got into some hot water because of the title. Um, I had a long list of titles I was considering, and I really could not find the one that made me just ecstatic. So I struggled with the title, and I, I struggled with this title, especially because there was a little bit. I was getting a little bit of pushback for the word ghosts. Ghosts is apparently pejorative to a spiritualist. I showed the film to Bill Guggenheim who you probably know, Sandra, and you, your listeners probably know, who wrote the seminal work, Hello from Heaven, about, I guess, that he's, he coined the term after-death communication, I believe. Is that right?
0: Uh, that was Raymond Moody. But he gave the most groundbreaking book on the different signs that people get from heaven. He was the first one for right. that, with Hello from Heaven.
1: So I won't, I'm not going to go as far as to say he was my hero, but he was somebody who... I admired for what the work he had done and he'd laid, laid the groundwork out for my kind of film. And I sent the film to him and I said, I, I'd love to get your response to it. And he wrote me back, a, a, a kind of a dressing down letting me know that ghosts is not the an appropriate word to use for any film. And he will not see a film. He boycotted the film. Okay. Wow. Ghosts conjures up spookiness and haunted houses and Halloween. And we don't want that association. Well, I can completely understand where he's coming from. And let me tell you where I'm coming from, Bill, where I'm coming from is this. This is purposely a mainstream film. I did not want to preach to the choir. I want to speak to people on the fence who aren't really sure what's going on in the world. And so I made a film that kind of covered both sides. And I think if you see the film, you'll kind of get a sense where I'm leaning, but I do want people to see it as an objective observer and like I was, and just being, an, an, uh, just, just taking the information in and assessing it because this is real people having real experiences in real time. There's no recreations. That's one of the things that people have asked me after seeing the film, are these reenactments? They're not reenactments. Things are, it was kind of filmed like a reality show. So things are scheduled, you know, conversations are scheduled and there has some choreography because the camera's got to capture the person talking. So sometimes things might look a little bit um, contrived, but there is no contrivances. it's all real stuff.
0: Mm. And you're right about after death communication being Bill Guggenheim. I was thinking near death experience, that's Raymond Moody. Uh, But I really enjoyed how you did it because Like I said earlier, no matter which camp you're in, I think you can be lured into the story. Mm -hmm. I belong to a fairly large grief group on Facebook. And anytime I've posted anything about life after death, I mean, they truly get offended. And I get it because I know to be in the throes of grief myself sometimes you just want people to under, that understand. Mm-hmm. So I find that your film speaks to that audience because they are deeply bereaved. They are looking for help me ease my pain. They may not be looking for let me know my loved one is still around, but you know what? They're going to get it. <laughs> You know, they they really are. So, I mean, you speak to that. And I think um, we won't get into the good stuff because we we want people to come in and see the film. We do. Um, And, you know, people who are listening or viewing right now, you can make a donation towards the film or you can watch it for free. Donation is not a bad thing because I I do know that Stephen reached deep into his pockets and over seven years didn't work. And it takes money to put this on public television. So we are doing a fundraising for that, but you can give after the fact or not at all, but you know, you can come watch the film, but I think during it um, there's, Things that happen that I wasn't even too aware of with all of my afterlife research. So I think there's some really good things. Without giving away the plot, um, you did work with the University of North Texas. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, when I started making this film, it was just about people, this little community in the community in Florida. Uh, connected to my mother, because it all started with my mother. And I wanted to interview them based on their experiences, because I wanted to see if they were talking to their deceased loved ones. But actually, I didn't go, go at it from that angle. I wanted to just come at it from a grief angle and see how they were doing and how they were processing things, because it was the most important thing going on in my mother's life and in my life at the time. And I thought it was a it was beautiful. I felt that my mother was trying to continue her relationship with my father. It was very sweet. And I found other people, other widows were doing the same thing. And I found this very romantic and interesting. But at some point I realized, wow, I don't have an ending for this thing. <laughs> how am I going to end? It was just, it was just a, um, what do you call it? Like a portrait. You know, it, it didn't really, it wasn't a story. And then I found out about Alan Botkin and what he was doing and how he had this therapy where he try to reunite people with their deceased loved ones for, uh, for therapeutic purposes, Trying right. to reestablish a relationship with them using a trauma therapy to do that. I said, wow, this is interesting. So I called Alan Bakken. We got to be friendly. And at one point during our relationship, he said, Oh yeah. And by the way, there's a professor in Texas who's doing a study and she's comparing this therapy to traditional grief counseling and like wing them and seeing what's better." And I was like, okay, bingo, I got an ending. I'm going to go to Texas and I'm going to film this study. And it is a groundbreaking study because it's the first time, I believe, I know there's some other work going on at the University of Arizona too, but I believe this is the first time a university has facilitated after-death communication. So in a way, they're kind of putting their imprimatur on this technique Which is huge for the spiritualists, right? They're getting they're getting sanctioned in a way by 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 higher education.
0: I think it's great. It's time, you know. It's past time. Actually, the research that I've done more people believe in the afterlife than don't. But each one of us human beings has this little voice in our head that we need people to accept us as good people, mainstream, not far out. We are, we don't want to risk losing relationships. If people could only put on loudspeaker, their belief in the afterlife, their belief in the afterlife, they'd find everybody says, Oh, I believe too. I believe too. I just never wanted to say anything. So I think it's going into 2022 now. I mean, it is time for science and universities, and mainstream people that we trust, some of the doctors and scientists and and things to say, you know what, this is real. This is real. And it's a big deal because it changes lives and it saves lives. I think we've all experienced grief. And although I was not going to end my own life, I hit such a low that I could totally get the people that do how bad it hurts. And if you're somebody who's grieving right now, um, it'd be sure to go to we don't die.com and scroll down and join our our club, our insiders club. It's just my mailing list and you get a free copy of How to Survive Grief. And then also access to my book and chapter 10 is uh, all about grief. Um, but there there is so much more. And to just find out about this methodology and Alan Botkin and what's happening is I think it's you know, it's really time. It's time yeah, for it. To it's come true. Out. And I was
1: just I was just talking to Joni this morning about this because she asked me, What do you tell people when you when they ask you, well, when did you become a believer and how did it all happen? And I told Joni what I'm about to tell you and your listeners I don't tell people I'm a believer. I tell people I believe in the therapy that's featured in the film because I took a page out of Alan Botkin's book. Alan, when Alan Botkin has asked the question, Are these real? interactions with the unseen or is this just the person that the the survivor's imagination and he tells them it doesn't matter this is about healing this is not about anything else i don't want to get mired in the debate of whether or not the the personality survives Right. right that's that's a distraction if we focus on the healing there's really no room for that kind of conversation even though it's an important one, but he prefers to take himself out of it. And I'm deciding to do the same thing because let's focus on the healing aspect to what these communications are doing.
0: That's right. And you know what? There's nothing I can say to a person to absolutely make them believe. I'm sure Joni, you feel the same way. So let them be in the driver's seat. Let them go on their own journey and, I do know a lot about that therapy and some of the things that have happened that, well, they lead me to believe in the afterlife, but you're absolutely right. It is about healing. And if we can look at it from that point of view, uh, yeah, I think it's really good. Yeah. I wish I could give somebody one of those little memory sticks loaded with my past 25 years and they could just download it and be
1: like, Oh, of course, of course we go on. Of course, these are things to help us through grief, but. And Sandra, I'm going to share something with you that's shocking. Skeptics do better in this therapy than believers. Ask really? me why. Why? Why? <laughs> because when, you, when you're so excited about something, when you have expect, high expectations, then it's almost like a, a self-fulfilling prophecy. prophecy. You, you kind of get something. There's a block that happens, apparently. So because expectations can block the results of this therapy, you're kind of cautioned to kind of try to come in with an empty mind and not be so eager to see your loved one. It's almost like when you meditate, if you have like five minutes to meditate and you're trying to cram in 20 minutes, a 20 minute meditation into five minutes, you just can't make it work. So you're just told to kind of just come in without any kind of preconceived notion. So the skeptics who don't have any, high expectations at all, end up having more vivid experiences with this therapy. That's great. Joni, do you want to chime in on this?
2: I, I, you know, I talked to Stephen about, we've had lots of conversations about this, believers versus non-believers. And, you know, just to go on what he said is you, you, you don't really try to convince somebody that, that it is, or it isn't, I mean, you can't, you just go with, you know, let them, let them figure it out on their own and, and not try to have a, like a religious debate about it.
0: Yeah. You can never win. Can you
2: Mm
0: -mm. You can't win on a religious politics, (laughs) Mm -mm.
1: but if you're not a believer and you have a great dream about your deceased and you wake up with a spring in your step, the whole next day, That's a good thing. And you could continue not being a believer and still enjoying that experience. The after-death communication therapy is the same thing. You could have a really good therapy session. You don't have to be a believer to get something out of it. And most people who do experience it do become believers if they weren't before. But that's not a requirement.
0: Well, there's a huge percentage of people that get impacted from this you know it's not like 13% it's like 70 80% yeah you know if not more get some kind of um really something good yeah
1: i i love I, it jan holden who's in the this is the professor at unt gave me the, the statistics on this somebody one of her grad students did some kind of a um a compilation of all the studies that were done between like you know 1920 something and now and she came up with stats um it's between 50% of the population and 90% of the population, depending on where you are in the world, but those are the numbers. So you could expect at least half the population has had at least one visit.
0: Very, very good. I just recorded an episode yesterday for my show shades of the afterlife, which airs on December 31st. And it's all about those dreams and deathbed visions and Joni, before we're done today, too, as a hospice nurse, I'm sure you've got a story or two. But just how comforting it is in our last weeks or days of life uh, that you have very, very, very vivid dreams of loved ones that have passed. And then also, so often, you can see them, they're they're here with us, and they make that transition uh, comforting and easy. So, Stephen, let's discuss how people can view this film. What have we, you and I, cooked up? The well, three of us?
1: the film right now is sitting uh, in, a, in a virtual theater. And right now you can access it through your website, right? Mm-hmm. W- which website is that, Sandra? We
0: don't die.com. And people can also okay. go to livingwithghostsmovie.com forward slash Sandra.
1: It sounds like it's easier to get there, though, from your website. We
0: right? don't die.com is much <laughs> easier to remember. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and you and you just enter the virtual theater, and Sandra's there with a the, on, the, on the first screen, basically introducing the film, and then you can buy your you could get you could donate or you could just say you want to watch the film for free. Either one. By the way, yes, I intentionally made the film for free because I want everybody to be able to access it without any barriers. But just between you you and me, Sandra, <laughs> I'm really really hoping people donate because. Again, it's going to cost quite a bit to get it on PBS. I did not realize this when I made this film, but PBS charges filmmakers for their films very often, not all the time, but very often, especially if they don't know the filmmaker very well, it's going to cost probably about $40,000 for me to make a version of this film for PBS and cover all their fees. And I don't have that right now. So if if your listeners feeling they like the movie and they are, I'm a, they're aligned with its message and they want to help me, I I would be very grateful if they did.
0: Yeah, and I I gave myself I know, <clears throat> I think it's at the twenty five dollar cost. You get all kinds of background. I don't know if it's director's cut things, but some there's like twenty something hours of research, and in other interviews that are part of that. Right,
1: right. So you try to give people some incentive to donate. Mm-hmm. Um there's there's a tw- a $25 break where at that, pr- at that price point you can get access to about 20 hours extra footage, which includes raw interviews with the experts. And it's great just seeing the, the raw footage because you get to see the experts say, hmm, I wonder about that, and <laughs> scratch their beards because that's just, just real human stuff. And so there's a lot of great material that just didn't make it into the film. And so it's just worth it. It's almost like another movie or another three movies in this extra footage. Plus, all the deleted scenes are in there and just some extra stuff that's kind of tangentially related to this topic that I just collected since the film.
0: Yeah. I think a lot of times people think, you know, what I'm just one person. What can I do to make a difference? And you don't have to write a book and you don't have to make a movie, but sometimes just sharing on, social media or sharing something with your friend. I can't tell you how many people have written to me about the stuff that I've put out in the world and the difference that it's made and then living live. And then also, unfortunately, some of the deeply grief stricken people, they want to join their loved one and they actually take their own life. And to know that this conversation, watching a film Reading my book, listening to a podcast, that it has the potential to help people on so many different levels, wherever they are in their grieving journey or their life journey. You know, I just ask people, you're just one person, so you can share, you know. So, yeah, send them to my site, we don't die.com. There's a movie to watch. Um, Yeah. So and then after the fact, so there's definitely going to be people that watch this or listen to this after January 1st,
1: 2022. Sandra, can I brag about the movie a little bit? In case case people are wondering if this is any good, this film, I get (laughs) to share. I get to report some exciting awards. So the film right now is in the film festival circuit. So it's not publicly available. It's, It's available here because this is considered a private event. As long as we keep it private, I could show it. And it doesn't run afoul of any of the festival prohibitions. So it's in the festival circuit right now where it's won eight awards, including best documentary and best feature film in North America. So that's, thank you for that applause. (laughs) Um, So that's very exciting. I get to brag in that way. And I had a couple of other things to brag about. I think I mentioned my co-writer, uh, Christopher Seaward is responsible for two of the highest docu- highest grossing documentaries of all time. So he's so having him behind me and having these awards behind me, I'm hoping that's going to at least entice people to take a peek at it. Oh, I think that's great.
0: Thank you for bragging. Bragging is good. <laughs>
1: I'm oh. the, I'm at least I like to have at least false humility. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, it's okay, you know. We're we're doing something big. You're not out to con people at all, and it's healing, right? You know, so who would you be not to do this? I mean, very few people will take such an initiative to do a project that takes seven years. You know, because I'm sure there were the ups and downs and yeah. the times of wanting to quit, and who's ever going to watch this? How, what's this going to look like at the end? But you push through, and now yeah. you've got a masterpiece.
1: Thank you for saying that. It was healing for me to make the film. I, during the course of making this film, which again took 7 over seven years to make this, I lost four people, and close people, including two contemporaries. So that was that was tough. But because I had, I was speaking. With these experts, and I was dealing with all these people who were seen very in touch with the other side. I was in a very, very good place mentally during these funerals. I was like, okay, they're gone, but maybe there is something that remains to, the, to this life. Maybe there's some residue, and maybe there's something to look forward to. So that was very good for me.
0: Oh, beautiful. Well, just a reminder before we talk to Joni, go to we don't die.com. Watch the film while it's in our theater, which is December 22nd, 2021 to January 1st, 2022. For those of you listening or viewing after, still go there because we'll put you on a list and we'll send you when we have our next showing or when also when I can say also when it does make it to public television. And let's see, what else do we need to say about this, Stephen?
1: Um, Just that, yes, there'll always be an opportunity for people to see, get on a a list to see the film at some point in the future. Since we don't know exactly when that would be, I would encourage everyone to try to see it this week before New Year's. So it opens. 22nd is when the curtain goes up. And then on January, on New Year's Eve, January 1st, actually New Year's Day, I think I'm going to have let the film run. So sometime during January 1st, the curtain goes down.
0: Oh, this is so exciting. I've never done this before.
1: Never oh, I am so, I almost buried the lead. We didn't talk about the Q&A. Oh, let's do it. We don't know. At some point in January, we think it's probably going to be January 9th. That's a Sunday. Not positive yet because the people we want to invite to this haven't all signed off on it yet. But we're going to have a, a, a Q&A <laughs> panel with the cast and crew where I, I'm assuming, Sandra, you'll moderate? Yeah, heck yeah. <laughs> okay, so Sandra, you'll moderate, but you'll get to basically, basically interact with the professor, uh, Dan Holden, who conducted the study at the University of North Texas, and the lead IADC therapist, who's, I would say, the hero of the film, Gra- Graham Maxey. So you'll, and me, of course, uh, you'll get to interact with us and ask questions, and um, it's, a, it, it's a very it's going to be a very exciting event.
0: Oh, I'm so grateful that I'm included and our community is included in this. Thank you for reaching out and letting me know. There's a lot of good things going on in the world that I just don't know. And so I love community members like Joni, who's like, you, you've got to do this. You've got to see this. So Joni, let's turn over to you because we... Um, left a few breadcrumbs for people, but if you wouldn't mind, and Stephen, we're not done with you yet. We'll make sure we get some closing words before we're done. But Joni, talk to us a little bit about your your near-death experience, if you would.
2: When I was 14, I lost my grandfather, and that was pretty much my first experience with death. So at that age, after he died, I'm sitting there thinking, well, what does that mean? Where did he go? Where is he? Did he just poof disappear? And it scared me. So I found myself in my bedroom at night, waiting to go to sleep, forcing myself to stay awake until I heard that my parents had gone to bed. And then I snuck in their room with a blanket and slept on the floor at the foot of their bed because I was so scared. I'm like, where I I what is this now? Where did he go? I was just afraid of the whole death thing. And they would wake up every morning. And they're like, what is she doing on the floor at the foot of the bed? And then here I am one night waiting for my parents to go to bed, making myself stay awake. And all of a sudden I hear a knock at the, at the front door. I'm like, Oh, why are they not answering the door? What's the deal? But the knock was pretty persistent. So I got up <clears throat> and went to the front door. We had a little peephole in the door and I looked through the peephole and my parents were, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I must've fallen asleep. Cause they were already in bed. And I'm looking through the peephole, and I see an angel there. And this angel was covered in this golden light. And he had the brightest blue eyes that I had ever seen in my life. And he spoke to me, but not with, not with words. And there was no voice, but it was more like telepathy. And he said, come with me. I'm going to show you where your grandfather is. So you don't ever have to be afraid again. And I get choked up talking about it even now, even at 54 years old, it's very, it's very emotional for me. But, but with that, he reached through the door. Somehow the door disappeared. He reached through the door, grabbed my hand. And the next thing I know, we're standing at this opaque wall. You couldn't see the top of it, the sides of it, nothing. We're standing at this opaque wall and we walk through it and I turn around and look back at the wall. And all of a sudden it's like a movie screen. And I see my mother and my grandmother and myself, I I see everybody in their private moments of grief. And I'm like, oh, this, this happens. This, this isn't just me that's grieving and struggling with this. Everybody, I see everybody else grieving too. And I turn back around and that angel is gone, but there's a lady standing there, a very comforting mother-like figure is standing there. And she also tells me, let's take a walk. I'm, I'm here to take you to your, I'm your escort to your grandfather. So it also, it's telepathy. It's not, not voices or anything. And we're walking, walking, walking in this field of, of grass and flowers and trees but not grass and flowers and trees like we have here. It's every one of these plants and and everything. This, This whole environment has a life of its own and everything is just glowing and alive and full of love. And that's what it's like walking through this field. You feel the grass, you see the trees, you see flowers that you've never seen before that are lit from within. I mean, they have a life of their own. And it was just amazing. But we're walking, walking, walking off to it towards a lake in the distance. You know how a lake has, when the sun shines on it just right, it looks like diamonds on the water. That's what it looked like to me, but it's way off in the distance. But before we get there, off to my right is a little wooden footbridge. And I suddenly had this overwhelming magnetic pull to walk across that footbridge and so I start wandering that way my escort the lady puts her hand on my shoulder from behind and said not yet it's it's not your time yet I I still get very emotional but I understood in that moment that that that's where you go across that bridge and off to the the wherever you go That's heaven over there. That's another version of heaven. But I wasn't allowed to go that direction yet. So instead, we went to the left and on towards the lake. As we get closer and closer to the lake, I see that there's a young man looked to me to be in his 30s, mid 30s, maybe. And he's on a sailboat sailing on this lake. And he was so healthy and young and, you know, strong and happy. And I could see all that, even though he was far away, I could, I could feel that happiness coming from him. And she said, that's your grandfather. And look how great he's doing. And she said, "You, you know, you don't ever have to be afraid again. And I was like, just blown away, blown away. And we leave the lake. I wasn't allowed to have any contact with him, but he knew I was there. And I knew he knew that I was there. So that was beautiful. That was really beautiful. And it touched me. Obviously, you can see this. But then we turn around and we walk back to that opaque wall. And she says to me, when you wake up, it will be your 15th birthday. And you will know that your grandfather gave this to you as a gift. And with that I woke up in my bed and it was my 15th birthday. And I knew. I knew without a doubt that I had been to heaven. That my grandfather gave me that birthday gift. And took all that fear of death away. It was gone. It was just gone. And I sat in my bed and I sobbed and sobbed and sobbed. And it wasn't a, it wasn't a grief or a A painful, it was, it was relief. It was cathartic. It was that I, oh my God, I know what happens when we die. Now I know where we go. I know there's nothing to fear ever, ever, ever. And somehow I've got to, I've got to share this. Well, at 14, there, there was, I didn't know what to call what happened to me. I knew that it was more than a dream. I knew that I didn't know what to call it or anything. And I called my mom at work. She worked five minutes away. I called her at work. I was sobbing hysterical on the phone. She's like, Oh my God, what's wrong? Like, I'm fine. Everything's fine. Everything is wonderful. And she's like, I'm coming home. So she came home and I told her my story. And the next day I went straight to hospice and signed up to become a hospice volunteer because I was, I was that driven and that compelled to want to be around people who were dying. I I felt almost that they were they were they were between I knew that they were between this world and the next and I didn't want them to fear anything and if I could share anything as a 14-year-old girl I was going to share my story if they wanted to hear it. And with that I became a, I went to nursing school, became a hospice nurse and I actually my first job right out of nursing school was in that hospice facility and went on to work hospice oncology med surge i even worked in the er for a little while but my coworkers began to understand oh give joni the ones that are actively dying because she she i i just felt drawn to that and i knew that i could share with my patients and that's another thing when patients are dying they want to talk about this they want to talk about what happens when they die, where they go after they die. They want to talk about this, but they don't always want to talk about it with their family member or their caregivers who's at the bedside with them because they don't want to freak them out or they get the response. Oh, don't talk about that. Let's Oh, that's not going to happen. They, they get kind of tamped down about that.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: And it's not, it's not intentionally. I don't think it's meant to, you know, done with any kind of, you know, malice or anything on the caregiver side, it's the caregiver scared too. And they don't want to talk. They feel like talking about it's going to bring it on sooner. Right. But the person they will talk about it to is the nurse, because the nurse is not emotionally involved usually with the patient. And they know that they're going to get an objective conversation with that nurse. So for me, It's been life-changing. I I feel like my patients have given me so much more than I ever gave them because they gave me the honor of having that conversation with them at the end of their life. And I also got to do that with some family members as well. And so I grew as a person over my 30-year nursing career, I got that magic with my patients and their families at it's such an honor and it's death can be such a beautiful thing. And I got that as a hospice nurse, but I also got that as I got my visit and my little tour of heaven. So I know that and I know it with every fiber of my being, I know it. And I feel like that strength of conviction helps people also in the end. And that's why I'm also so passionate about this film because I can wrap up my personal experience, and I've had several other ADCs as a matter of fact, after that, you know, throughout my life, that always just reconfirms for me. I know where we're going when we die. I, there's nothing to be afraid of. But that what I experienced and continue to experience every time somebody close to me dies, makes me very passionate about this film. And even though I didn't make the film, Steve was the filmmaker. I am, I am his right hand and is as passionate about this film as he is. And my job working with Steve is getting the word out about the film and contacting people like you, Sandra, who maybe want to see the film. And I, I just feel, I, I feel so passionate about it because of my own experience. And so that's my role as Steve's uh, associate producer and outreach producer with this film.
0: Well, any great project needs different types of individuals involved. I remember Malcolm Gladwell's book, The Tipping Point, you know, how things just go universal. And while there has to be somebody who's got the dream and the vision, there has to be people that love to share and that people trust. And Joni, I've got to tell you, I don't know you well, but I wouldn't mind having a person like you by my bedside in those last moments. And do you have any stories that you remember offhand or of people before they pass looking into heaven, and do, I'm, yeah. I'm sure as a hospice nurse, you witnessed a lot of that.
2: I have witnessed a lot of that, and I'll never forget a patient that was in room I even remember his room number, room 30. <laughs> you know, and I, I knew he was actively dying, he had lung cancer because I, I, at that time, I worked on an oncology floor but my coworkers all knew give Joni the patients that are actively dying, <laughs> you know? So he was one of those and he had lung cancer. And I remember walking into his room when I had a patient that was actively dying and they had no family with them. Cause that was often the case. I would take all of my charts and my paperwork. And at that time, nothing was computerized. It was all handwritten and I would take it into their room and be with them as they were actively dying. And I recall working on my paperwork and, and, you know, I could hear the changes in his breathing. I knew it was coming very soon. Um, and I looked over at him and he was looking off in the distance, you know, like above the doorway, but he was so focused. You could tell he was seeing something. And so often in medicine, nursing, the medical profession, people, write it off as, Oh, it's the drugs or, Oh, it's, he's confused in the end, but I saw enough to know. And I knew from having had my experience that there's something more that's not, that's not necessarily drugs there. They are actually seeing it. And you could see, you could see the way he was so laser focused and he had been so comatose and not, not alert and oriented at all. And all of a sudden now he was actively engaging with what he was seeing up above the door of his room. And I, to witness that was magical. I mean, again, I'm on the, I felt like I was the one receiving a gift, you know, receiving something confirmation. And he was having a, he was having his words were incoherent, but I knew he was having a conversation with someone because you can tell by the pauses that you take and the, the way his expression changed And then he reached up his hands, he reached up his hands and, and he was gone. That was it. He was gone. And I, I felt it in the room. I, I could feel that transition taking place within my body. Something was tingling within me and I could feel it. And after he was gone, you know, I had a little ritual with my patients that I did where I closed the door. And I said a little prayer with them and I'm like, go on. This is your, this is your time. Go on, enjoy it. You're in a beautiful place and happy journey to you. And awesome. then I would do my aftercare and things like that. But that was my ritual. I still get choked up about this stuff, you know, and, and I'm, I'm 54 years old and that was probably 20 years ago, but I still, it's so meaningful to me. And I've had, uh, I had an experience like that, even with my, my own father, when he died, he saw his thing was his dad. My grandfather had passed away years before, but there we were around my dad's bed. And he was also comatose nonverbal, but he woke up and he said, you know, I'm coming dad. I'm going with you. I'm going with you. And he always, he talked about, and we were like, who are you talking to? Who who are you? Who's in the room with you? And he's like, my dad, he's come to pick me up in that old Cadillac of his. And, And it was just the coolest thing because he was clearly talking with my, my, my grandfather. And my grandfather had clearly shown up in his old Cadillac to pick my dad up. And he smiled at the last minute, and then he was gone and you saw this peace come over his face and that was it and i knew for a fact that my grandfather picked him up in that old cadillac and off he went and it was a it was a it was a beautiful death you know and people don't think about death being beautiful but so and if you can it, yes it's painful and it and it hurts and there's a lot of grief associated with that but if you can Put that on the back burner for just a second to be present with that person that's dying. Death can be such a beautiful, beautiful thing. And to share that with somebody is. priceless, And it, it changes you. It completely changes who you are.
0: Oh, thank you. I'm going to ask you each for some closing words, but before I do, I just want to share. Uh, just a little story. It's one of my favorite. It's um, a little boy was in hospice and he didn't have long to go. And he was looking in the corner and he was chatting away to some invisible kids. And the nurse had asked, you know, "Who who are you talking to? And he gave the three names of these three boys that he was talking to. And he passed not long after, but the Names of those three boys were the three boys that lived in that hospice room before he passed. And I I I love that. I mean, it's so comforting. Our life is short, you know, and we all fear death. It's human to do so because we have lives to live here on earth. So we've got things to accomplish, people to help, things to grow with, you know, all that kind of thing. So we have that natural fear, but in those moments, you know, there's a welcoming committee that helps us across and our lives live on. We're healthy. We're well, we're young in our favorite. If we have glasses, we don't have them. Um, we're, our favorite health, favorite age, but we do have a life to live. So Joni, let me turn to you first, and then we'll go to our filmmaker for some, just some closing thoughts.
2: I I can't wait to hear the feedback from your viewers after they watch this film. I'm really excited to um, see what they have to say and what questions they have during the Q&A. And I, I hope it is my hope, just like it is for both of you, that this gives some comfort to your viewers as well.
0: Thank you very much. And thank you for sharing your story. And Steve, over to you.
1: Hey, Sandra, first, thank you so much for um, hosting this event. I'm trying to share the film with as many people as possible while it's in the festivals, because it might be there for a while. And um, I'm just hoping that people do give it, give the film a few minutes at least to see if it's worth their while. I think it will be. I think they'll appreciate the film. I think your listeners especially are of the population that would appreciate the, the content of this film and the message that it delivers. And just just watch and enjoy and um and and th- thank you thank you for coming and don't don't forget about the Q&A on on the first well maybe the second week of january you'll probably post it on your site the I information most definitely about the Q&A will. but that'll probably, it'll probably be probably be on january 9th and um and see the film starts starting on wednesday fantastic
0: well, thank you both for being our guests today and of course to our listener or our viewer if you're watching this on YouTube. Thank you for being here. As a reminder, you want to go to we don't die.com and just scroll down and you'll see Living with Ghosts. And you can click on the link and watch the film. You can. And if you are one of those folks that happen to be listening to this after the fact, still go there because there will be an email list you can sign up for and we'll let you know the next time it's out and about. Again, at we don't die.com, our home base, we have a ton of stuff there. We do weekly classes if you're interested in psychic or mediumship, or even want to go on your own journey for your own soul. We have The Way to Your Spirit, we also have a trance. And the altered states class where you get an opportunity to close your eyes through most of the class and be led on a journey to blend with that unseen world and our loved ones. We offer some really special things. And of course we our flagship thing is our Sunday gathering, which is completely free. It's an it's a spiritual service that is so inspirational and puts a smile on your face. Each week, a different topic, but included in each one is we have a demonstration of mediumship. So, your loved one may come through one of our mediums during the service. They're really quite special. Also, while you're at we don't die.com, you can sign up for our email list. It's called our Insiders Club, and you get a free PDF copy of my book, We Don't Die. It says just a few chapters, but the truth is it's it's the whole thing. And if you'd rather listen to an audiobook, just go to the store page and use coupon code free, f r e e and you can listen to me over thirteen hours, share my audiobook. There's over four hundred episodes between our two podcasts, and so much more. So I think that's it. Well, my friends, thank you so much for listening or for viewing please know that your life is important while you're here. It really makes a difference to share. Share yourself with others. Be who you are. You're one of a kind. You are very special. Please remember to go to wedonttie.com and scroll down and join us December 22nd through January 1st to watch this great award-winning film, living with ghosts. So I'm Sandra Champlain, and I do believe that life is an education for the soul and that your life here is important. You've got a whole team of unseen beings cheering you on. You're never alone. You're deeply loved. So we want to thank you for listening or for viewing, and we'll see you soon.